Good morning, everyone. Good to see you. If you haven't met me, my name's Stuart. I'm the leader of the church. It's lovely to have you with us, whether it's your first time or your hundredth time. I have a child here that the mum has forgotten. <laughs> Ash, you need to go with mum. Do you want to go with, you want to go with Charlotte? No. Well, what, he'll stand here until Mel realises, and then she'll come back in and get him, I hope. Or else he'll just stand here for the whole sermon. So he'll be fine, won't you? Okay. Um, you may have noticed there's a few changes around this place. Anyone notice that? Since we come in, yeah, yeah, we come in a different entrance, a few things. Lots of people have been working very hard over the last few months to get all this in place, all the bits and pieces, the new screen and, and everything else. And I just want to say a big thank you to them, Charlie and Katie particularly, um, but everyone else who's involved in that awesome job. Um, but uh, what I wanted to do this Sunday is um, I want to remind us that there's always changes in life. We always go through thing, changing Things always change, and some people don't react well to change, but also there are certain things that stay the same. We've had a big change in our life recently. Um, Our eldest, Levi, started school on Friday. It was a big deal, particularly for his parents, I think. He went in fine. He came out fine. He was smiling the whole time. It was wonderful. His parents were a little bit more on the traumatized side, but, you know, we we dealt with it. We got over it. but that was a big change in our life. We now have to take him to school every day, or else it's against the law or something. You know, but we, that, that's what we've got to do. Um, and uh, sorry, Someone go and tell Mel that Ash is here, actually. That would be helpful. <laughs> um, but there are certain things that don't change. And what I want to talk to about as church is something that hasn't changed for us. Things have changed. People have been added to us. We've moved around the hall, all those kind of things. There you go. (laughs) I'm not sure how to get back on track now. Where was I? Changes. Thank you very much. Um, That's never happened before, so that's a change. Um, But there are certain things that don't change. And what I want to talk about today is, as a church, something that hasn't changed. What are we going to look at this week and next week? We're in the middle of a series on John's Gospel. We'll come back to that in a couple of weeks. I'm going to take two weeks now just to look at some things in the church. I want to look at the why, the where, and the how of real-life church, and particularly in the why, something that hasn't changed in our journey together. So first up, oh, the why. Now, our purpose as a church, no matter how we grow, how we evolve, will not change. Our purpose of church, we've actually written up on the banner over here, and we invest money in, in things like that, so that's not going to change anytime soon. And our purpose as a church, it says, real life is having a relationship with Jesus, following the example of Jesus, and changing the world with Jesus. We believe that's what real life is. We believe real life is all about Jesus. If you want to boil us down to one thing, something you can get hold of, something you could easily say, what are we about? It's Jesus. He's the one we're all about. That's the focus. And that hasn't changed. No matter what happens, changed to us structurally, organizationally, numerically, whether we go up or down, whether we meet in this building or another building, the center thing, the thing that holds us together, Jesus will not change. And it has not changed as we go forward. We believe real life is all about Jesus. Now, if you kind of ask someone what, what they think about Jesus or who Jesus is, you'll get a lot of different answers. I went on Google this morning. And I typed in Jesus and pushed enter, and I got, I, I think this is the right number, 623 million. There might be more if there's another zero. I'm not big on my zeros. But 623 with a lot of zeros after it. That's how many hits came back on the internet. And if I bothered to troll through all of them, there are probably lots of different opinions on who Jesus is. But we get our, our, our opinion of Jesus, our belief of Jesus from his word, the Bible. 
the Word of God. And I just want to sum up and remind us who we think this Jesus is, who we believe he is. We believe he is God the Son. He is the eternal Word of God, the second member of the Trinity. He always has existed and he always will exist. Before creation, he was. After this creation is wrapped up, he will be forever. That's who Jesus is. He came to the earth as a man. He was born of a virgin. Yes, we believe that. That's because of what the Bible says. He was born of the virgin. He grew up into a physical man, but he wasn't any ordinary man. He was both fully man and fully God, the Bible says. He was completely man, human in his flesh, just like us, flesh and blood. You could see him, you could touch him, you could grab him. He had to eat, he had to sleep. But at the same time, he was completely and fully God, 100% divine in his nature. He was God the Son. He performed miracles and healings. And he drove out demons, and he did incredible things. The words he spoke were so provocative, so powerful, they could have only been the words of God that cut into hearts. He knew things he shouldn't have known, only God could know about people and situations, and he spoke into them. He lived the perfect life. The Bible would say we'd call that sinless, without error, without fault. The only thing wrong, even when he was, he was put on trial at the end of his life, They said they couldn't find any fault against him. Jesus says, what charge do you have against me? And they couldn't find anything. If we put you guys on trial or me on trial and and you said, could you find fault? All they'd have to do is ask your wife or your husband. And they'd be going, well, where do I start? And they could list your faults. Jesus said, no, where are my faults? And they couldn't do it. He died a horrific death, the most painful, horrible death that mankind has ever devised, crucifixion, a slow death by suffocation in horrific pain and agony. And at that time, the Bible says he didn't just die physically, he was bearing the wrath of his father for sin, the perfect, holy, righteous judgment against evil in the world Jesus was bearing in our place. He then died, dead, gone. He was laid in a tomb He then rose from death bodily, a bodily resurrection. He was dead and he was alive. The unexplainable thing. How did that happen? Because he was God. And he rose from the dead on the third day in a new resurrected body. He commissioned his followers to go out and tell others. He then rose into heaven, ascended to heaven, and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And one day he will return and judge all mankind. And he offers eternal life to anyone who would follow him and believe in him. Anybody. And it's not just life kind of in the future, pie in the sky when you die. It begins now. It's stake on the plate while you wait. It's here. It's, 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 it's active in life. If you would choose to follow him, if you would return, return from your own way of life and put your faith and trust in him, Jesus will, will offer you that, will give that to you. He'll forgive your sins and call you into eternal life with him. So that's who we believe Jesus is. That's who believe Jesus is. And as I was preparing this, I came across this kind of quote and statement that just sort of sums it up. It's from a famous essay called, uh, by Dr. James Allen Francis called One Solitary Life. And it just kind of eloquently sums up Jesus, but in a, in a powerful and provocative way. It says, here is a man who was born in an obscure village, the child of a peasant woman. He grew up in another village. He worked in a carpenter shop until he was 30. And then for three years, he was an itinerant preacher. He never owned a home. He never wrote a book. He never held an office. He never had a family. He never went to college. He never put his foot inside a big city. He never traveled 200 miles, <coughs> sorry, 200 miles from the place where he was born. He never did one of the things that usually accompanies greatness. He had no credentials but himself. While he was a young man, the tide of popular opinion turned against him. 
His friends ran away. One of them denied him. He was turned over to his enemies. He went through the mockery of a trial. He was nailed upon a cross between two thieves. While he was dying, his executors gambled for the only piece of property he had on earth, his coat. When he was dead, he was taken down and laid in a borrowed grave through the pity of a friend. Nineteen long centuries have come and gone, and today he is the centerpiece of the human race. I am far within the mark when I say that of all the armies that have ever marched, all the navies that have ever built, all the parliaments that have ever sat, and all the kings that have ever reigned, put together, have not affected the life of man on this earth as powerfully as that one solitary life. I'll read that last bit again. Nineteen long centuries have come and gone, and today he is the centerpiece of the human race and the leader of the column of progress. I am far within the mark when I say that all the armies that have ever marched, all the navies that are ever built, and all the parliaments that have ever sat, and all the kings that have ever reigned, put together, have not affected the life of man on this earth as powerfully as that one solitary life. In real life church, we're all about Jesus. We're all about worshipping him, praising him, and offering the opportunity for others to get to know. In our purpose statement, it says, we believe real life is having a relationship with Jesus. That's where it begins, a personal relationship with Jesus. That's what everyone needs to have. That's what we're about. We want everyone to have that opportunity, everyone from the youngest and our kids' work. That's what we're offering to them, to the older, more mature members in here. We want to offer that to you. And if you don't know Jesus today, we want to offer you the opportunity to get to know him. Do that by coming amongst us, by being part of our meetings, by getting involved in our life groups, by being involved in the life of the church, meeting other people who do have a relationship and asking them what it's like in their life. Even in today, if you feel God prompting you, you can do it. we can do something with you today. But that's where it all begins. That's the fundamental. That's the center point. And that will never, ever change. Ever. If it changes in real life church, we cease to be a church. We might call ourselves it, but we will become something else. And so at the beginning, at the, at the core of who we are is you have to have a relationship with Jesus and we will bang on about it until you do or you leave. That's what, and we will give anyone who comes amongst us that opportunity. Get to know Jesus because of who he is, what he's done. He's God. He's the one who created you. He knows you intimately. But then it says there, it says, relationship with Jesus, um, following the example of Jesus. Having a relationship with someone should affect you. I've been married 14 and a half years and being married to Melanie has changed me. You'll hopefully know mostly for the better. <laughs> I remember someone saying before you got married, he said, if, if you are lucky enough in this world, God will give you a full-length mirror to show up all your faults, and that mirror will be called your spouse. And I was like, what? <laughs> and sure enough, being married to someone and being in that, all the kind of things of my life, which I'm try, I try and hide from you if you don't know me that well, are exposed in that relationship. But through that, they are chiseled off and work together. And it's the same with the relationship with Jesus. Jesus loves you so much, he doesn't want to leave you like you are. <laughs> That's how much he loves you. He wants to change you. He wants to transform you. He wants to conform you to his image, to grow you in godliness and holiness. And we believe when you have a relationship with Jesus, it should affect you. Someone who has a living, acting relationship with Jesus, if you look at them and then come back in a year's time, there should have been some kind of progress. There should have been some change as God works in their lives, transforms them slowly, deals with areas of sin, deals with bad attitudes, calls them into new things as they grow and they learn about him, as their relationship deepens. So we believe there's a a knock-on effect. But then it finishes there. It says, um, changing the world with Jesus. 
So actually, what should happen is you have a relationship with Jesus. It then affects your life, how you live, which then in turn affects everything around you. Jesus did that. What did, when Jesus went to places, things happened, things changed. He went to, part, he went to a wedding, didn't he? What happened? There was lots of really good wine suddenly turned up. He went to funerals. What happened? It wasn't a funeral anymore because the dead guy came back to life. Jesus does that, and we are called to be like that, and that is our purpose. We're meant to be men and women who love the Lord, who, who want to serve him, want to follow him. Our lives are gradually transformed, and through that, by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, we affect lives around us. That's what we're called to do. That's the why of who we are. That's why we exist. That's our fundamental core and purpose, and we're never going to change that. That's who we are as a church. That, Despite what happens around us and what we see, we're going to always come back to Jesus, come back to kind of he's the one, he's the number one, he's the rock on which we stand. He's going to be our foundation, um, and he's the one who's going to kind of call us forward, and we're going to follow him. How about the where, kind of where we're going as a church? Well, let me just take you back um, and uh, the story so far. Have you got those? Can you put the first photo up, um, please? <laughs> that photo was taken July 2010. I can't pin down the exact Sunday. But that was taken on a Sunday morning in Bishop Stortford, which is a, a little town not near here, um, with a bunch of young men and women who all look very young and good-looking there, don't you? That small thing that my wife is holding is Levi, okay? And who's now, who was up here being disciplined, by the way, that was him. So he's, he's grown somewhat. But that was, that was our last Sunday at the church in Bishop Stortford where it was basically, we said, we, you know, we felt God called us, da 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 and we were coming to move to Bishop Stortford to plant a church. And a couple of weeks after that, Mel and I moved here, and then gradually the other guys moved, and then we had others come and join us. Matt and Phil came and joined us. Phil and Wendy came and joined us. And, and on it goes. And that's where we began. And that was it. And there's been a few changes because there's, there's now one, two, three more children should be in there. And Joe and Anna are now married to each other. So they should be standing next to each other because they weren't there. So those two should be married, and there should be at least three other children. You can see if you can find them today. They're all around. Um, um, should be added. So that's how, that's how this began. Then we, uh, we came here and we had our first Sunday meetings in the Bannersgate Community uh, Hall, which is over on the other side of town. Is that one? Have we got one for that? This one's a little bit blurry, but that was us in the beginning. There's Jonathan there who opened the meeting this morning. And that's us at the beginning. It was one hall. It wasn't very big, kind of this sort of size. And it was everyone all in together. <laughs> I was trying to do this with the children running around. And initially it was just a Levi, we thought, that he, and he was small, we thought, I can cope with that. But from our very first Sunday, children turned up. And trying to challenge, preach with children in the room is just a challenge. And there was no PA, so I just had to project. <laughs> so that's how we, we did it. Then God moved us on from there to the um, Sutton Grammar School for Girls, which is just at uh, the edge of town. And so that was us there uh, growing. We, look at that, we got into two rows of chairs. We were flying at that point. You know, that was, that was, that was huge. Um, and so we grew there. And then, have we got another photo? I think that's the last one. Is that the last one? Oh, there's one more that's here. That's the wrong way around, though, with dirty floor. You can't really see it. But that, that was before we had the floor done. So that's where God's brought us to now. And now we're here. And so God has taken something, a small group of people who didn't know a huge amount. We're all pretty young. I like to think, I still think I'm young. Um, but yeah. And he's taken it and he's produced this. 
Melanie went through the kids list last night. We started with, Ash, uh, with Levi, and she said, if all the children turn up on our books that I think are coming, there's going to be about, I think she said 35. <laughs> I'm like, how many? I'm glad I'm not running kids. Away. I said, that includes the babies, but that was 35 kids. And you're like, wow, and the adults. So that is what God's doing. God has done something amongst us, and God has spoken to us clearly about where we're going as a church, which means we come over this banner over here. It's just where we're going as a church. And over the, the, the time as we prepared to move here and as we moved and what, what God started saying to us, we kind, of, we kind of tried to distill it down. Where is God taking us? What's the direction he wants us to go as a church? We've got our call. We know what we're going to start with and stand on. That's going to be what we're about. But where are we going? What are we going to tell people about when they say, you know, why are you here? And I just want to take us through these things. The first one there is... Um, well, to summarize, we're going to be a large, influential, reproducing church. And I, I believe that because that's what I feel God said to us in terms of them, some of the prophetic stuff that's come to us, has been spoken into us recently. But also that's what I see in the Bible. That's, what, that's my starting point. What does God say in his word about his church, about his people? And I believe God has a plan for his people, and he wants a lot of them. He wants a great people. If we go back to kind of creation... God created the heavens and the earth. He created man. He put him in the garden on this earth he'd created. And what was the first thing he kind of said to Adam and Eve in the garden? He said, multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. So he basically says, I want you to make more of yourself a lot more. Because if you're going to fill the earth, which we know is fairly large, you need a lot of you. How many of there are there now? Seven? Billion? Six billion? Seven billion? Six or seven? What's a billion? There's a lot of people. And there's still plenty of places we haven't filled. And so actually, God had, had a plan for them. And he said, I want you to do that. And then we have the, it all goes wrong, Genesis 3, sin into the world, everything's broken. But God's plan hadn't changed. That I still want a people. People for myself, who I'd have relationship with, and who would worship me. And we get to Genesis 12, and we have Abraham. Or was Abraham at the time, wasn't he, before his name was changed. And God grabbed him and said, right, I'm going to do something with you. And he says, um, I'm going to make you a great nation, Abraham, which was hysterical considering how old he was. Was he 80, 90? And he had no children and his wife was barren, couldn't have kids. He says, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless all the earth through you. Then later he says to, to Abraham, he says, if you go outside and you look at the, the heavens, and you see the stars in the sky, and you see the sand kind of under your feet in the desert, your descendants will be like that. I'm going to multiply you as a people. My people will grow like that. There will be so many of them that you, uh, that you couldn't number them because you can't number the stars in the sky. There's just going to be this great, magnificent multitude. And if you follow the story through Genesis and then beyond, you have what, Abraham, and he has a son Isaac, who has a son Jacob, who has 12 sons who then go down into Egypt at the end of Genesis. We go flick forward 400-odd years to the beginning of Exodus, and suddenly those 12 and their families are suddenly a mighty nation, numbering a million-ish. Not quite sure the numbers, but large. And then they come out. God sends Moses. They come out. Red Sea, plagues, all that. They, they march around the wilderness towards years, and he says, right, we're going to the promised land. Take the promised land. Settle there, kind of under Joshua. And then we have the time of the judges, and we have the kings. 
And God is like, I'm establishing my people. And then under David and his son Solomon, Israel, um, as the nation of the people of God, rises to its most influential and its most prominent and it's most powerful. It has the temple, and Solomon is renowned for his wisdom, and there's wealth and prosperity, and it's wonderful. But even in that time where you've got the kind of the people of God in the land of Israel, and kind of like this is where we're going, God was always saying, There's going to be more. This isn't it. We read the prophets, and there's always that kind of undercurrent. This is, it's not just for you. It says, You're going to be a light, it says in Isaiah, to, to the nations, the Gentiles, those, the non Jews, those around you who outnumber you, you're going to be a light to them for me. And it says in the beginning of Isaiah, it says that there will be, a, in the, the later days, it says that the mountain of the Lord will become chief among the mountains. It's kind of this prophetic picture of this, the mountain of God growing. It says the nations will stream to it. The nations of the world will flow to it. They will come and worship the God of Israel. And there will be so much more than just this one kind of ethnic group. The the word of God will go out across the nations of the world. And so there was always that kind of sense. And then you've got um, John the Baptist turns up after kind of the the prophetic silence. And he's saying, make way. That one is coming who's going to bring that kingdom in. He's going to kind of bring God's rule to earth, the one you've been looking for. And then Jesus the Messiah turns up been hinted at for hundreds and hundreds of years, and he's saying, right, it's now. Now's the time. God's kingdom is going to break in, and it's not going to be like the kingdom you, you, you remember from David and Solomon, that kind of physical geographical kingdom. It's going to be a kingdom, my rule, that is going to be dynamic, and it's going to flow everywhere. It's going to go everywhere. You can imagine the excitement. Then he dies on the cross. He rises from death. He gathers his followers, and he says, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. That's everybody. Everybody. No one is excluded. The message, my message must go out to absolutely everyone. And for me, I'm thankful because if that hadn't gone out, I, wouldn't, I couldn't be here. <laughs> I'm not ethnically Jewish. I wouldn't, you know, I'm not part of that covenant people. I'm, I'm one of the, the outsiders that Jesus was thinking about when he said, go to the nations. And we're here as a result. And then if you read in, go forward into the New Testament, you read things like Galatians, where Paul's writing to the churches there, and he says, actually, by faith, you are an heir to the promise of Abraham. So that bit where, where Abraham looked up and saw the stars, one of them had my name on it. You know, because I'm, I'm an heir to that promise. Stuart is up there. When he looked, he saw me. He says, you, as the church, as the believers of God, are part of that promise. So when God promised Abraham in the desert, in Iraq, all those years ago, he said, it's going to be so much bigger. And then we go into the book of Acts, and we see the church born at Pentecost. 120 becomes added 3,000 overnight, one sermon. Good sermon, Peter. I wish I could do that. You know, just one. That's grown a mega church straight off the bat, isn't it? They must have had fun discipling that lot and getting them into small groups, isn't it? You suddenly have 3,000 added, and you're like, oh, man, how are we going to sort out the tithing with this lot? But the church suddenly grew rapidly. And if you go through the book of Acts, you see phrase after phrase where it says, the Lord adds to their number daily, those who are being saved. More and more believers were added. Multitudes were added. The church grew throughout the whole region of whatever the region was the church in, but it just grew and multiplied and multiplied and multiplied. And then if we fast forward right through our time to the end, we, we peek into the book of Revelation, where we get a, kind of a, a glimpse of what's going to happen at the end. You get this statement in Revelation 7. It says, John, who's having this vision, he says, After I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number. 
from every nation, from all tribes, peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in the hand and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. A, num- a, a multitude that couldn't be numbered. That's why I'm convinced God wants to grow his church large. Because that's what it says in his word. He wants to grow. If you can number them, there aren't enough. Because it says the nulls, you couldn't be numbered. <laughs> so if you can number us, we need to add more, basically. And if you get all the churches together in Southern California, you can number them, we need to add more. In Birmingham, in the nation, in the nation of the world, if you can number them, we need to add more. And so that's why I'm convinced God is going to build a large church here. Me personally, we've had... Um, Prophetic words about that, speaking to multitudes, speaking to crowds, which I know there's no way I can achieve that in myself. It's only something God can do. Um, as we were leaving, a bishop stalker to come and plant the church here with that little tiny group you saw there, uh, we had a prophetic word where um, someone came to us, and when you have a new baby, you get this little red book where you have to plot stuff, and when they, they weigh the baby and they measure the baby, and you kind of plot its growth and development, hoping he or she is, is growing and developing well, and it's kind of just indicators of the health of the child. Uh, when we had Levi, Levi was 95th percentile, which means he was a big baby. You saw the, you know. So he was right at the top of this graph, kind of actually off the top at some points when they plotted his weight and they plotted his growth. And I know someone came up to us at the end as we were leaving saying, I, I feel God saying to you that real life church will be like that. It will grow into that 95th percentile. As Levi has grown and continues to grow, he's a big boy for his age, your church will grow in light of that. And the only thing you can do with that is respond in faith. And something's happening because we've gone from that to this in a short period of time. God is doing something. Next one, influencing. We believe we're going to be an influential church. God has a history of using men and women in all spheres of life to influence the culture, the context for his glory and his purposes. If we go back to Genesis, you find Joseph, who went from the prison to the palace in what looked like a blink of an eye, if you read the story, and he's suddenly prime minister of Egypt, and God uses him to interpret the dreams of Pharaoh and to save the nation of Egypt. And not just the nation of Egypt because of the famine coming, but also the nations round about, which ironically included his own family, the, the sons of Jacob, who conspired to kill him, which he got over, which is great. Um, and and he, he did that. God used him as a man devoted to God. You see, Daniel, in pagan Babylon, you know, he was taken out as a prisoner and he was dumped and he was kind of indoctrinated with the culture in Babylon, all the pagan gods. His name was changed, everything to change identity, but his faith in the God of Israel never, never wavered and he stood firm even at the fear of his own life at certain points. And, he, and the pagan kings he served, he served several kings in Babylon and afterwards when the Babylon Empire was destroyed, who ended up praising his God. And he influenced them, and, and he, he was used by them. You take the story of Esther, one of the most kind of perplexing stories in the Bible, how God used her to save the Jews in the nation of Persia. She was the queen, and, and he used her, if you read that story, how he, yeah, she, she saved the nation. There's Nehemiah, who was the cupbearer to the king of Persia, and God used him to rebuild the temple and the walls in Jerusalem, which had been destroyed Previously, Babylonians destroyed it, and he was upset. And God used him in his role 
um, political role to come and influence and be part of his kingdom. And they all held positions in kind of worldly power structures, worldly things, things that we would, you, we would be involved in, jobs we would have, but they were used by God to influence for his kingdom. And when Jesus came, he said to his followers, he says, you are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. You're the salt. You, you bring flavor to life. You preserve and prevent decay. You light. You shine. No, you can't miss a light when it's on and it's shining. In fact, people need the light because without the light, it's dark. And they fall, fall over. They, you know, they stumble. That's what you're to be. They can't be hidden. When you put salt on food and you shine light in darkness, it can't be hidden. It's there. That's your role. That's what you're to be. And as I was kind of mulling through this before we came up, I, um, I came on this passage in Jeremiah. Jeremiah 29, and I was, I was reading through the Bible in the year, which I've, has been my habit for a while, um, did it a number of years, and I got to this passage when you're just reading through it, and it leapt out at me and, and kind of hit me, um, hit me, and I felt God speak to me very strongly through it. It says, this is Jeremiah prophesying to the people of God who are in captivity in Babylon. Jerusalem's destroyed, they've taken to Babylon where they're kind of wondering, what on earth's going on? Thinking, God, are you going to restore your people? And the word from the prophet says, um, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles, exiles whom I'm sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So the Lord's behind this. He says, Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray to it, pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. And I felt God say, we're going to come and be a blessing to the city. We're going to come and be here and be good to the place that we find ourselves in. He says, uh, build houses. Well, many of those, all those people on there, they've bought houses in the city now. People who moved up, we've bought houses. So plant gardens and eat produce. Basically, give to the city. Work in the city. Be part of the city. Give to the economy and the culture of the city. We've taken jobs in the city. When I first got here, I worked as a primary school teacher, uh, doing supply work all over the city, and I was serving the children and the schools of the city uh, through my work. It says, uh, take, wives, um, take wives, I already have one of them. It says, have sons, which I had. Asher was born at Good Hope in Sutton Coalfield. Levi doesn't remember where he's born, but he's going to be a rummy for life now because this is what he remembers. He's born in Cambridge, but he, he, he's here. This is where it is. And it says, then it says um, that I, meet, I, I, I need to um, give my sons in marriage. We're going to put a pause on that one, but that, I'm sure that will happen in the future. And this is that they may bear sons and daughters. Again, pausing uh, on that one, but that's going to happen in the future. Seek the welfare of the city. So it's basically get involved. And when Mel and I moved here, we basically said, we're coming here, God willing, by the grace of God, we ain't going anywhere. This is, we're making our home here. We're going to build a church here. We're going to grow and die here unless he says otherwise. And that's the way I'm living my life. Kids are going to school. We bought a house. We're, we're building something here. By the grace of God, that's what we're doing. And we're seeking the blessing of the city. We're seeking to be, to be good to where we are. And as a church, I feel that God has called us to seek to wherever we find ourselves. And most of that time will be individual as you spend most of your time not in this building, doing whatever you do, serving God. And I believe God has called us as a church to be influential in our workplaces and whatever positions of authority or spheres of influence God's called you into. Whatever you find yourself doing with most of your week, 
Whatever area of employment, whether it's kind of arts and edu- arts and kind of culture, whether it's education, whether it's it's healthcare, whether it's business and finance, whether it's legal stuff, whether it's kind of governmental power and authority, whatever it is, give yourself to it wholeheartedly and seek God's purposes for your life in that place. How can I be influential for God's kingdom here? The number one way, of course, is being really good at your job, whatever it is. Whether it's a paid position, whether you're raising children with most of the time, just be excellent at it. I think that influences the culture you are. It benefits the city and it benefits around it. But within that, God will ask you and speak to you and do things that proclaim his name and advance his kingdom. And that's how we're going to be influential. We're going to be influential corporately as a church. Our name will be known and we'll be asked things and it will be kind of a bit odd. But that's what's going to happen. We've been influential in this place already. Look down at your feet. Then move your feet and look at the floor. We have been a benefit. I was talking to the youth centre manager yesterday again as all this stuff was kind of being set up. And he, just, he was just saying, what you doing this, paying for this and getting it done has benefited so many people. So many groups who use this building. It's just transformed it, he was saying, just because it's not that manky, horrible thing that makes you dirty. It's, it's, it's nice and a lot better than it was. We're being an influence. And I believe God's going to call us to continue with that more and more. Last one, and then we'll stop. Reproducing. Reproducing church. I don't believe we are, what God has done is going to terminate on us. We're not an end in ourselves. God hasn't done something here just so we can enjoy and say, aren't we awesome? I believe God has asked us to push it out and, and go beyond ourselves. Jesus himself, when he came, what's the first thing he did? He gathered people together to train them. He gathered 12 guys, says, I'm going to train you to be leaders of my church in the future. They had no idea the journey they were going on when he said, follow me. But that's what his plan was. When he, he rose from death and he commissioned his followers, what did he say? He said, go into all the world and make disciples. He gave them a commission. He gave them, you know, a job to do. You imagine that. If you go to someone and say, you know, you, you go to some people and say, you know, do you need a hand with this? Imagine if someone gave you a job just going, yeah, I, do, I need a hand. What would you like me to do? I don't want you to go into the whole world and make disciples of every nation. And you're like, that's going to keep me busy for a while, isn't it? And that's what he said to his followers. You're going to go everywhere. And on beyond the generations, hundreds of years later, we're still doing it. And, and that's what he was going to do. And, and if you read the book of Acts, it's a stunning story of the gospel just going on and reproducing and churches starting in city after city. In Acts, in Acts 13, between Acts 13 and Acts 14, this is what happens when they... They go from Cyprus to Perga to Antioch in Pisidia to Iconium to Lystra to Derby, and then retrace their steps all the way back to Antioch where they started, planting churches in all those places, reproducing. That was the Apostle Paul going around and planting churches. And if you go into 2 Timothy 2, you find these words from the Apostle Paul. It says, uh, what you have heard from me, he's writing to Timothy, he says, what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others. So you've got Paul, the Apostle Timothy, or sorry, Apostle Paul, Timothy, faithful men, others. Four generations of training and reproducing. Paul's saying, it's not going to finish on me. I'm training you, Timothy. You're going to train others, and they're going to train others. And this is going to multiply. And we, as a church, I want to reproduce ourselves. I want to reproduce ourselves, I guess, on a micro level. I want men and women to become Christians here. Lives to be transformed. It's not just a, a holy club where we can just gather Christians in and think, oh, we're awesome, and we can sing good songs and have some preaching. But actually, it's all about serving and loving others so they will get to know Jesus like we do. We found the best news on planet Earth. And if you look, check the news, most of it ain't good. 
Most of it's not pretty. I check the news most days. You know, a lot of it's not very nice. We've got the best news, and we get to tell everybody about it. And we want to communicate them. So we want lives transformed. We want them to know Jesus for themselves. Not because it makes us look good, because it's the best news they could ever have. The best news they can have. They can have their lives transformed. But also on a kind of uh, macro level, we want to reproduce ourselves as a church. We want to plant churches. We want to start other churches in other places. I have no plans for that, by the way. I don't know where. I don't know when. I just know what God said. And I'm going to go with that until it kind of makes himself clear. Uh, Before we left... um, uh, to come and plant Real Life Church. We had, um, oh, it says four here. I thought it was three, it's four. We had four people come to us on separate occasions and say the same thing to us, um, Melanie and myself. They basically said, Real Life Church is going to be like a strawberry plant. That's what they said. For me, I don't know anything about gardening or strawberry plants. I like strawberries. Strawberry jams are good. Strawberry on scones are good. Um, I like strawberries. But strawberry plants is way beyond me. Um, and so, but when, when the third person starts saying it to us, and then the fourth one, you think, I think I need to look into this and discover what it is. And I found out about strawberry plants. Um, and apparently, uh, strawberry plants, you grow them, and they look nice, and they produce strawberries. But what they do is, they, they, as they grow, they send out these runners, like shoots. And the runners then go into the ground. And as they go into the ground, they produce another plant. So what was one strawberry plant with the runner becomes another one. And then that one does the same again and the same again. And if you see wild strawberries, they're like, they go berserk, they do. Just, there's plants all over the place and runners connecting them. And they effectively, one, ch- one, one plant can multiply into many plants. And the fruit from one then is multiplied again, the fruit from the other, the fruit from the other. And you suddenly have what was one becomes many. And when I had that moment, you had that kind of God moment, like, oh, wow, Lord, what are you going to do? And I believe God has called us to do that. So in our future is church planting. We're going to do what we've done here somewhere else. We're going to send people out. We're going to plant another church. And I don't know where it is, but it's something I'm praying into. God, what do you want to do? Where, where do you want us to go next? It can't just end on us. I want, I want a vibrant, healthy church here, but I also think there are plenty of other places that need that too. If every church in the UK was full we will, still wouldn't have enough room for all the residents of this nation. We need a lot more churches, and they need, all need to grow a lot bigger to give everyone the opportunity to come and know Jesus. We just don't have the room, so we need to keep planting churches, healthy, vibrant, kind of Jesus-centered, Bible-believing, Bible-teaching, Holy Spirit-empowered churches to take this message to anyone and everyone so they get an opportunity to respond for themselves to the good news of Jesus. All right, let me sum up. We've looked at our why, what's not going to change about us, our purpose. It's all about Jesus. It's all about coming to know him. It's all about having a relationship with him. It's all about connecting with him, praising him. He's, our, he's the one we're always going to focus, but we're on a journey. We've got to go somewhere, and this is what God has called us to, a large, influential, reproducing church. And in the, we've only been meeting on a Sunday. It'll be four years in January, so we haven't even done four years yet. And already I, I look at this and I think I can see what God has done already. I, and it makes me jealous for more. I, I, I'm thankful for what God has done. I'm overwhelmed with it. But I look to the future and say, God, do it. Do more. <laughs> Keep going. I want to see those things happen again and again and again and again for his glory and his grace. So can you stand? Now we're going to band. Do you want to come back and do whatever you need to do to get ready? We're going to spend some time worshipping Jesus. I haven't got kind of a particular response other than 
let's give ourselves to worship now. Let's give ourselves to praise. Let's be thankful. If you're here and you're part of Real Life Church and you've come amongst us, you have got much to be thankful about. You've got much thankful that God even provided this, that God even did this. You've got much to be thankful about in your own life, that God saved you, transformed you, the things he's working on right now in your life. You have much to be thankful for. And I just want us just to give our focus to Jesus, to, to pray, to prophesy, if you want to contribute. Where's the mic gone? <laughs> we have that here, uh, if you want to say something. But we're just going to sing, we're going to worship God, and we're going to see what he's done. The kids are not due back for, yeah, probably over 20 minutes now. So we've got plenty of time to give our complete focus to Jesus and not worry about small ones, you know, charging around. Um, so let's do that. I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to hand out. I'll stop talking. Lord Jesus, we want to say we love you. Lord Jesus, we want to say we praise you. Lord Jesus, we want to say you are awesome and you are mighty, Lord God. And we want to thank you, Lord God, that I want to thank you, you saved me. Lord God, I want to thank you that, that when I was lost, you found me. When I was away, you got me. When I was dead in my sins, you raised me to life, Lord Jesus. And I want to thank you that I can have a relationship with you. Lord Jesus, I love you and I praise you for that. Lord God, and I, but I thank you that that's not an end in itself. There's, there's more. Lord, and I thank you for the company of men and women you've brought here who have their own story of you transforming their lives, Lord Jesus. And I thank you that you've put us together as a church. Lord, and I thank you that you've called us into a great and wonderful future in you. Uh, Lord Jesus, I thank you for what you've done thus far. I stand in awe of that. I'm surprised, Lord, um, and awed at your graciousness, Lord. But I look to the future and say, God, do it. Do more. Keep going. We want to see more, Lord God. We want to see more and more men and women come to know you for themselves. We love you and we praise you. God's people said, Amen. Amen.